Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec. I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with the most amazing guest who's very tenacious. Bruno, Bruno, thank you so much for being here today and for going through all the hoops you had to get through to get here. Thank you very much for the invite. I feel very honored to be with you. Thank you. Nice. So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you do. Okay, well, I'm a consultant on international marketing and advising companies on international marketing and also on compassionate business. Over the last few years, we have been advising companies and training companies on how to become profitable and more compassionate. I'm also, I'm also a, an author of different books, business books, and some books that are self-development books. And also, um, I'm a lecturer at university. I'm a professor in marketing and also ethical marketing and also I'm researching on different topics I'm very interested in topics such as sustainability compassion and business and also the social side of business nice I love that so we're going to get into the details of almost all those things as the conversation unrolls but let's back up the bus a bit and go how did you get into international marketing International marketing, well, first of all, before starting as a consultant in international marketing, I started working as an accountant, but was quite boring. Uh, and also I worked for many years as an accountant, advising companies on tax, auditing costs. But then um, I studied a, a degree, postgraduate degree in international marketing, and I started advising companies on import-export activities. This was nearly 20 years ago and how to develop international marketing strategy, how to, for example, penetrate, uh, for example, foreign markets with their products and services. This was very interesting, but challenging because most of the companies are, especially medium-sized companies and small companies are based in the local market and they don't have an international experience. But it was very rewarding from the emotional perspective, from the professional perspective, and also from the economic perspective. I'm still advising companies on international trade, but I try to be much more toward a compassionate entrepreneurship. Nice, I love that. So with international trade and foreign marketing, I mean, your, your market is vast. <laughs> It's, like, it's almost worse than saying, who do you help anybody? <laughs> so, so who do you, you love to work with? I like to work with a small company with no experience in international marketing. For example, what I see that these type of companies, uh, they're very open-minded, they're flexible. Generally, they're family companies, company family uh, composed of family members, but they have certain challenges that are difficult to address at the beginning. For example, lack of financing. In international marketing, you need financing that is very important. In some cases, they don't have the, 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 the scale, they don't have a a big production that could be offered, for example, to fill a container. They don't have also, in some cases, they don't have enough uh, uh, competitive prices. Uh, they don't have competitive prices in the way that they can negotiate with big buyers in the international arena. And also, they have many problems. But 
uh, we try to guide them from the, the start, starting point uh, until the end. So in some cases, I took some company that didn't even have a website. So we advise them on how to, for example, develop a multilingual uh, website, but also how to, for example, uh, look for a potential uh, buyers in the international uh, scenario, but also what are the main procedure, for example, custom procedure, documentation, certificate, and also uh, aspect related to packaging, cultural differences that vary from market to market in time cases, uh, adaptation of the product is needed. So it's very interesting, but it's multidisciplinary. I'm not working on my own only, but I'm also uh, in partnership with some uh, lawyers and also the logistics specialists. So it's a quite interesting, but challenging uh, consultancy project. Um, but I observe that many companies have the fear of uh, becoming internationalized and they tend to stay safe in their local environment, but the rewards of getting international are very interesting. For example, higher profit, uh, increased sales. In some cases you have tax exemption. Most countries have tax exemption for ex export activities. And also you have also economies of scale. This means that you can distribute the cost much more efficiently. It's very interesting, it's very interesting. And I'm very, very keen and very enthusiastic when advising these companies. That's awesome. So, so many directions I could possibly take this, of course. So is when you talk about increased profitability, is it just because you're going after an American market and their dollars worth more? Or are there other um, factors yeah, that you take very, into account? Very, 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 very good point. Well, you increase profitability for the simple reason that you increase the, the volume of sales. And increasing the volume of sales uh, because you are covering more than one market. You are diversifying. I call this diversifying, geographically speaking, your sales. Instead of concentrating all the eggs in one basket, you are expanding your sales and by expanding yourself you produce more and most companies have fixed costs and this fixed cost for example is renting a warehouse and this fixed cost when you produce more and you sell more and you have a bigger scale because of becoming international these fixed costs are distributed much more efficiently between the local market the domestic market and the international market so for this reason companies get benefits when going international, not only for the international market, but also for the local market, they become more competitive abroad and internally because they increase the scale. And it's like comparing a very small grocery shop and a supermarket. When they get bigger because of becoming international, they have much more negotiation power. They have more competitive prices. And obviously they have better relationship with supply. They get better deals and get more financing from the bank. So it's a very uh, successful strategy when uh, guided in a in the correct way but obviously it's not everything it's not everything that can be painted in a positive way there are also some challenges the challenges that companies face more uh, specifically speaking are that in some cases they don't know so much about the cultural environment in the international arena for example if they are exporting from united states to a Latin-rooted country like Spain, well, they don't know so much how to adapt the packaging or adapt the promotion or the, the leaflet or the catalogs. So we need to be very professional and serious when uh, 
entering countries that are completely different from the cultural perspective. And also in some cases, you have different regulations that vary from country to country that also need adaptation of the material, the packaging or the content or the ingredients or the, or the text that should be on the packaging. So adaptation are always a must. So it's very unlikely that the company sell exactly the same product that they sell in the local market abroad. So for the reason, uh, good professional advice is uh, uh, suggested for this type of company, especially small and medium-sized company. That is my, my focus. Nice. I can't imagine for the life of me, anybody even trying to go international without having somebody like it's you challenging. around. You can't even yes. send packages across the border without having packaging, issues, let alone. But you know what? With the upsurge of internet a few decades ago, it's becoming easier for companies. We have some clients that they didn't even have to make any effort to go abroad. Because of having a very good website designed and a multilingual website with the main languages, they were detected by buyers abroad, and we were contacted by these buyers for them, for this company to send some products as a sample to be tested abroad. So the upsurge of internet makes things much easier in the way of promoting the product on a global level. But you have still you have still the challenges that are related to adaptation of products, different legislation that vary from market to market, different economic condition. Maybe a product that is very successful in a developed country, for example, United States or UK, might not be successful in a country that is less developed. Why? Because you have to sell probably a much a basic, much more basic version. So no frills probably. And so you have to adapt the product. So adaptation implies costs, and also in some cases, uh, obviously this cost made the product less competitive. So there are many variables to, to, to be taken into account. For example, cultural value, variables, legal variables, economic variables, logistic variables. So it's quite complex, but uh, challenging and interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're looking at financing, because obviously if you're going to have warehouses somewhere else and okay. all that kind of fun jazz, are you looking for grants? Are you looking for venture capital? Is there a variety? No, no. yeah, this is you, you have an international trade for a transaction between an exporter and importer. You have different what we call means of payment. Means of payment are a specific uh, way of paying the transaction that are very well used in international uh, marketing activities. International marketing activities, uh, they are mostly based on customs, custom tradition uh, that uh, are guiding the activity between different countries. The means of payment that are traditionally used are letter of credit, and also you have a bank collection. These are the two main ones that you use. You use two banks, one in the country of origin, one in the country of destination. And the banks, in many cases, depending on the means of payment, it's not the same letter of credit that bank collection. For example, in the means of payment, the bank is also uh, acting as an intermediary for the payment. So uh, the importer uh, know that the exporter will collect the money and the importer will be sure that they will receive the merchandise. So the, the intermediary in this case, two banks are the ones that are guaranteeing the transparency of this uh, transaction. So letter of credit is probably the most well-used uh, means of payment in international trade. Very well used, a bit expensive, but it's justified for big transactions. Awesome. 
Not the question I asked, but a great answer. And <laughs> another question that leads into that one is when you're looking at doing international trade, do you recommend doing like a wholesale or a retail distribution? Or do you have a preference or is it depend on- Well, the well, it depend, depends, yeah. Generally it's wholesale. If you are selling big amounts. So the, the unit of measure in international trade activities, the container. So it could be 20 feet, could be 40 feet. So this is what we call wholesale because you're not selling in the case of activity that I'm uh, involved in uh, with these companies, we're talking about that we're not selling a box or we're not selling a box that can be sent with, uh, for example, FedEx, that will be much easier procedure. But we're talking about big containers. In order that you have an idea, depending on the product container could have 20, 20 tons. So the idea is that we are talking about big amounts. We're talking about, we can call wholesaler, yes. This Then the importer generally is a, a wholesaler. And the wholesaler, uh, in some cases, sell to a retailer. So there is a distribution channel in the market of destination and the retailer will sell to the customer. But generally it's, it's whole, we can we don't call wholesale, we call importing uh, volumes, but they are big volumes. For the reason many companies don't reach the minimum that is a container or a pallet. Pallet could be a smaller amount, but it's, it's, it's still quite challenging. Moreover, small companies, a container will represent what they're producing all over a year. So, so it's quite, for the reason scale is a very important limitation for companies that are getting internationalized. Why? Because they are, uh, obviously they cannot reach the minimum volume that is required by these big importers. So that are the, the most important players in the international market. And I'm assuming that would be places like Walmart and other ones that are buying on consignment yeah. and then yeah. distributing yes. something like that. Yeah, if Walmart could be, an, but, but obviously in the case of Walmart that we're talking about hundreds of thousands of employees, they have their own, uh, department. I'm focusing much more on medium-sized company and a small company. They have their own department, their own infrastructure. So they, they resort to their own advisor. They might not take into account a, a, an, interna an international external consultant because obviously they have their own infrastructure. They have, in some cases, they might have branches and subsidiaries abroad. So it's a different type of structure. But for medium-sized companies and small companies, Consultants are very common. Uh, the, the consultant is not only acting as an advisor, but as a broker. So it's getting the buyer is like a matchmaker, like a, like a day maker. You have the two candidates and the two suitor, potential suitor. You have the importer and the exporter, and these uh, are found by the consultant, in this case, our company, and they are, there is a match. There is a match, preliminary match. And then obviously we get in contact with both parties and we participate in the negotiation. The negotiation is also quite challenging because different countries have different negotiation styles. To know that I give you an idea. In the case of the United States, time is money. Time is very important. We have to close the deal. In the case of Chinese company, relationships are important. First off, before closing a deal, well, let's try to get to know each other, especially all countries in the South Asia area, like Japan, Indonesia, and other countries, including China the relationship because they are countries that are, we call high context countries or cultures, they, they tend to develop stable relationships knowing each other at least preliminarily before getting into talking about the economic aspect of a transaction. Very cool. So what 
would you say are some of the most popular items that are being uh, exported right now or in, imported into the state? Well, uh, with the state, with, we're doing food, for example, food, uh, we're uh, advising some company from Latin America. And some company from Latin America, for example, Argentina, Brazil, we have a, a small country there in Latin America, Uruguay, that is also very powerful, and Chile. Well, these are countries that are uh, based on primary production, means that extractive industry, for example, food, cereal, and so on. Well, this is very well requested in some countries like the United States, even United States producing cereal, but I'm talking about manufacturing products, manufactured products, food, uh, for example, tea, uh, for example, uh, we're sending uh, juice. Uh, we have big production of, uh, in Argentina of sugar. So we're talking about basic products uh, that are very well requested in the United States, but also other countries here in Europe. We're also bringing some products. Food products that are always, you have a guarantee that you will have continuous supply because obviously, People have to eat, and uh, these this, uh, big food companies are continually buying product from abroad. So here, in, for example, in the UK, most of the food is imported from countries like European countries and also Latin American countries. Very cool. Um, just kind of sort of made me laugh inside thinking, wow, it's been, what, 400 years? <laughs> They're still bringing food up from South America. Well, well, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for example, there is a very famous product now that is uh, being sold in the United States that is originally from the area of South America. It's called mate. Mate that is becoming very popular and it's a product that is like a very strong tea, very strong tea, and uh, it's, it's drunk with a, with a straw, with a straw, and it's filtered with a straw and it's becoming very popular. You will find this in the United States and all the mud in the United States is coming from Argentina, South of Brazil and, and Uruguay. And it, it's becoming quite, quite widespread. Yes, I do love a good cup of it. So when, um, when people are first looking out for this, are they necessarily taking a product that sold really well locally and they're going, hey, I want to go internationally with this? Or do they go, hey, I got something here and I think it might fit an international market. This do they could have be to deceiving. prove themselves first? This could be deceiving because a product that is popular in the local market might not be popular in the international market. Because we saw that the most important aspect in international market, in international trade is that you have different cultural, legal, and economic environment, different countries with different. So a product that could be very well accepted in, from the cultural perspective of the country of origin, this means when the product is consumed and produced, might not be accepted at all because the custom and the values and tradition are completely different. So we have to obviously research always before jumping into the, the swimming pool, as we say, figuratively speaking, if the product match the preferences, the custom, the values, the tradition in the market of destination. There is also an, an analysis of the intercultural differences between the country of origin and the country, the target country for our products, the country of destination, the one that will be importing the product. But also in some cases, a product that is uh, very innovative in the, in the market of origin might not be innovated at all, have been well known in the market of destination. So this means that 
different countries in the international scenario go at different uh, speeds and different pace. They take different paces. Some countries, for example, some product could be very well known. In other countries, could be innovative. In some countries, the product is uh, obviously it belongs to a sector that is very saturated. This means a lot of producers and competitors. In other countries, there are only one or two companies that are so every market is unique. And you have, depending on the statistics, you have around 200 countries, a bit, some will say 210. So there are many markets. I always advise companies to start with countries that have psychological distance. And though, what do we mean by psychological distance? Because there are two types of distances in international marketing, psychological distance and geographical distance. Geographical distance, we can say United States and UK, are geographically distant. You have the ocean in the middle, quite distant, quite challenging from the logistic perspective, but uh, obviously uh, they have been trading for centuries. So the idea is that is interesting, but what is psychological distance? When a country with, as compared with another country have a very short psychological distance, this means that they have similar uh, culture, similar tradition, similar values, uh, similar background or shared background. Uh, and the example is, uh, for example, you take UK and Ireland, the country Ireland, they have very short psychological distance. But these countries have very short also geographical distance. Instead, UK and Spain, they have short geographical distance, they are very near each other, but they have very long psychological distance. Why? Because different languages, different background, uh, different tradition. One is Anglo-Saxon, the other one is Latin-rooted. So if I have to start, I am in the UK, I will start with Ireland. I won't start with Spain because I'm more likely to adapt the product when I sell the product to Spain than when they sell the product to Ireland. We'll have less adaptation when, sell, when the product is sold to a country with short psychological distance that when the country of destination is a country have a very long, very enormous psychological distance with the market of origin. And you wouldn't think that there was a kind of a rivalry between Ireland and the UK where Ireland's going, mm, you know, I'd rather give my money to Spain. But <laughs> has that ever happened? No, rivalry, we haven't seen rivalry. In, in, here in Europe, now, with the Brexit, this changed a bit. But uh, in Europe, uh, countries, they get on well with one another because they have the origin of the European Union is uh, the, the Second World War. Uh, this was uh, searched in 47 after the Second World War. They tried to, even with these disagreements, and you see in the news with all these disagreements, from the trade perspective, they try to keep a very peaceful environment and they try to made the trade flows uh, go as easily as possible. Now we have some challenge here uh, in the UK with the fishing industry, that we have some problem with the, the licenses and all so on. But this problem that arise uh, because of the Brexit, they try to keep this as uh, easily resolved as possible to avoid uh, big challenges because is uh, the, the in, in intra-trade means in the, within the international Europe is quite important. So UK is importing many, many products from the European Union, even after Brexit. Many predicted that 
the import of uh, international product from the European Union will drop after Brexit, but this didn't happen. So the idea is that this, uh, they try to, I don't see rivalry. I don't see, I see disagreements and obviously each country have their own interests, but I don't see a conflict that could uh, bring about something uh, belligerent between countries. Awesome. So what would you say is one of the biggest challenges outside of the geographical distances and the psychological differences? Let's say you have one that's very close, Mind. they're similar and life is grand, then what? Mindset, mindset. I, I, I call this international consciousness or international uh, mentality. Many companies do not have the mentality. This is probably the most important factor. Many companies don't see themselves exporting or selling their products abroad or opening a branch abroad. And this is about the mentality. So they are perceived limits, not necessarily real limits. And this is, has been studied a lot for, by many scholars, but I see this in practice on a practical level. And this much what have been studied on a theoretical level. The mindset, they, they believe that is something uh, uncertain, which, which is uncertain, is really uncertain, but also difficult to attain uh, in some cases the, the 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 focus too much on the difficulties instead of uh, uh, foreseeing the, the the potential benefits so there are, uh, many companies have fear of becoming international to put it simply and they, they adopt a like a an attitude of conformity they say well we are okay in the local market why it's too complicated. You hear from entrepreneurs, it's too complicated. It's, it's, it's not for us. We have been doing this always this way. Why, why changing? So a lot of uh, pretext excuses and very interestingly, uh, the companies are keeping themselves in a safe situation. This means the local market. But I always tell this company, I always give the analogy of the stock chain market. I also like, um, I'm, an amateur investor uh, is not my primary activity, but I always tell this company, imagine that you are a professional investor in the stock chain market and you have a big uh, amount of money to invest. Will you uh, develop your portfolio with only one company and invest in, let's say, $100,000 in one share of one company and share of one company? So will concentrate all the money that you have in one share of one company. They told me, of course not. The most important rule in investing is diversification of the portfolio. And I said, we agree on this. And why you are acting in an opposite way in, in regards with the international activity? Because you are concentrating your activities in this country, let's say the UK or any other country where they're based on. If this country go down, get into a recession, and not all market get into the recession simultaneously, in some cases, some market get into a recession, the other one become untouched, uh, all your activity will go down. Instead, when you have your activities, your sales diversify over different markets, if one of the market go down, for example, the market operation, you have other sales in other markets. So if your own market get into a recession, you can continue selling to other countries because you have diversified your activity. And using this analogy to understand that this obviously very interesting uh, because obviously nobody would like to concentrate. And also at the same time, 
These companies believe that they're not internationalized, but they are internationalized in a reactive way because they are competing in their own market with companies that come from abroad. These companies are not going abroad, but in their domestic market, the national market, they are competing with companies, big chain that are coming for another country with their branches, subsidiaries, products import from another country. So in practice, I always advise companies to take a proactive attitude and focus much more on the positive aspect that international uh, trade and marketing can bring about. Also, I forgot to mention improved brand image. When a company is international, not only they get more profit, they get more sales, lower costs, more competitive, and also exemption of certain taxes. For example, export exempted most country for, from BAT. Uh, and, but at the same time, it's not the same. A company that never sold abroad that the company that have been selling their products internationally in different countries. The brand image, how the company is perceived by customers, by suppliers, and other stakeholders, is enhanced. Why? Because the company is a living proof that they have been uh, entering different markets with different cultural, economic, and um, legal environment, and they could adapt their product accordingly. Very cool. So can you give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories? Client that maybe came to you terrified and- oh, okay, okay, oh, yeah. Well, have, I have a very good one. Okay, I have a very good one. Well, this was the product was charcoal. I cannot give the name of the company, but I can say that the product is charcoal, charcoal that is used for barbecue. Okay. This company was based in uh, Latin America, more specifically in Argentina, in the north of Argentina, in near the boundary with Bolivia. And uh, this company, well, this company didn't even have a website. They have an idea of producing charcoal. The charcoal is where they will produce in that area in north, uh, northwest of Argentina and very competitive because they have a lot of wood, woods and also forests. So you have a lot of uh, input raw material and also very easy to produce, very low cost of labor. We discussed, so the company don't have any experience on this. They didn't even have a website. And they have some idea about the brand and they have some idea about the packaging, but very vague idea. We have different meetings, was a family company with no experience, no website. Then obviously I told them that the website was a must to start talking about uh, their product to uh, international buyers. Uh, and from, well, I want to not, not to summarize too much, but from no website, no experience, they started with a container. They, they sold here to a country, specifically Greece. One container, they started with one container that was like a, the, the trial container. Obviously, before they sold, uh, they sent the sample that was a bag to test. Before sending the container, they have to adapt a lot the, the size of the charcoal because the charcoal that was consumed in Latin America, specifically in Argentina, was bigger than the one that was the piece of charcoal was bigger than the one that was consumed in that, that market. So they have to reduce the, the size. So there was adaptation because of the adaptation, they have to include some additional information in the packaging. The packaging also was printed in, in two languages. And uh, this was uh, also including the website. There were many requirements that were adjusted uh, before sending the, the first container. We have a lot of feedback from the buyer. This took also many weeks. It wasn't a thing that would resolve immediately. And uh, 
at the end, well, first contain and then this grew exponentially. So from one to four, 10, and then 24, and it continually growing. So the idea is that companies can do this, and obviously the company is very happy, and I'm also very happy too. But the idea is that companies can do this. Uh, at the beginning, the company didn't even believe that they could do this. But, and I have to act, even I'm not a psychologist, I have to act like a counselor or a coach encouraging company not to give up because there were so many challenges reducing the, it was very difficult reducing the, the piece of charcoal because they have to buy new machinery and this was not easy to obtain this machinery and so on. And also the packaging was not the material that is common to be used in that area of Argentina. So, but they didn't give up and it's about persistent too. And, and then we also, this company, they didn't sell only in Greece, but they started also selling in Portugal and Netherlands. So they diversify also. They started, I always say to companies, small wins. They started with one, one market, they concentrated, but then they diversified to a second market and then to a third market and so on. So many companies want to start and sell their product to the whole world. And if you don't have experience, it's much more, in international trade, what it works is gradualism. We call this progressive improvements, continuous improvement, and it's also in some cases two steps forward and one step backward, but always persisting and also determined with objective in mind. And this is a learning process. I call uh, this international journey like a learning process because companies learn a lot and also learn a lot, not only how to sell abroad, but how to sell the product in their own local market. So there is a very interesting learning process. Companies that were no professional at all or no big experience that were acting in a very amateur way become professionalized and professional, not only in the international arena, but also in the local market. So this improved the company core capability, the skills, and also the image, the, 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 brand, the brand image is improved. <clears throat> Very cool, I love it. What made you decide Greece? Greece, because this was the market that we saw that was uh, suitable for this type of uh, charcoal, but we were not completely right. It was a market that was, the, the, the factor that made us decide for this market was the price was competitive for that market at that moment. It's a country that culturally speaking, they, they prepare a lot of barbecues, what is very good for charcoal. So this is, <laughs> yes. the customs are very important. So they have use of this and also, uh, yes. And this, we thought that this uh, is not a very big market. It's a very uh, interesting market to test the product before going to much bigger markets. So Greece is quite achievable. And also we took into account also the logistic aspect. So sending container, the, the aspect of harbors, for example, near Athens were uh, quite suitable for this type of product. So yeah, there were many factors, but one important factor is the cultural factor. This means that barbecues are very common in Greece and I went to Greece and it's true. So <laughs> the, the idea, they, they consume a lot of uh, charcoal and this type of charcoal because there are different types of charcoal too, but this type of charcoal are very popular. That is awesome. So what might somebody be thinking at home right now, listening to this and going, oh my God, Bruno, I need you so badly. Uh, what, what they are thinking? Yeah. What are they you... going through? 
what kind of stumbling blocks is somebody going through and they're just struggling with it and going oh my god i need you i but they need me they need me well they can't find me on the internet they well, that's uh, how they get a hold of you but what what are they what struggles do they have in their business that they're just going like this isn't working oh okay okay the struggles well the struggles are quite uh, simply classify the struggle that are for example problems with the complexity of international trade operation that include documentation international negotiation for example international trade strategy what are the potential market to select market selection is very important it's a, it's a macro decision is before you start a getting with the specific buyers how you how you select the most appropriate market as i mentioned about before about this a psychological distance is a market that could be short psychological distance is a very important determinant and also some companies uh, call me uh, in some cases to train their employees we have a case of a company in portugal that a couple of years ago i went to train they have an export department they were already exporting but then they needed to know more about certain countries. This, this um, company was exporting products, was tile for the floors, and they were exporting a product to the uh, Portugal ex-colonies, for example, uh, Cape Verde, or for example, uh, other uh, countries, uh, Mozambique. Uh, and they wanted to know much more how to increase their sales, how to take into account, for example, uh, aspect of packaging that made the product more attractive in the market of destination and also well we went with a group of uh, colleagues and we trained companies on how to market their products much more efficiently they didn't know uh, so much about marketing but they knew a lot about logistics they knew about negotiation but we explain how they can make the product much more uh, distinctive as compared with other competitors that are selling their product in that market. And this was quite successful. This was in-house training. So in-house training also, I'm doing some in-house training. And in some cases, well, uh, I'm giving also some talk for uh, entrepreneurs, for example, association or sector. Generally, they look for me when they need also some ideas or insight on international marketing or any other of my, my specialism. Nice, love that. So if somebody is listening and they have an association, maybe they just have business that they want to take internationally, how would they begin their journey with you? Well, they, they, they can contact me, of course. They can contact me, generally they can contact me. I have two websites, the one is called brunosignaco.com. We will have that one. in the notes. <laughs> Don't even try to spell oh, that. <laughs> okay, okay. Scroll okay. down to the notes, people, and you'll you'll find Bruno's information. Okay. 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 Well, they can or, find. Or me the other easily. website. What's the other website? The other website is a, um, a compassionatebusiness.com. Awesome. We will also have those in the notes for you. So yes, fear not. We will have ways for you to get a hold. And I'm assuming on your websites, it's just contact us, or is there any kind of fun and exciting things that people can do to see whether or not yeah, they're they, ready they, for international training? Yeah, yeah, they can, they can, they can. Yes, yes. Uh, but uh, obviously, they can contact me through LinkedIn. Also, I have some clients that came through LinkedIn, so this is very common for them to to contact me. Uh, okay. Yes, but obviously, 
we have to analyze every situation and we generally we take clients only when the clients meet certain criteria for example that they have an existing product and they, they have business idea or business model we can discuss this awesome okay and uh, let me ask you this we're almost wrapping up soon but i gotta know at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur uh, well, this was a couple of years ago. Uh, we're talking about couples uh, years. We're talking about 20, 25 years ago. I thought that this was an interesting idea to become an entrepreneur in a way that uh, having a company that could train other companies that could deliver consultancy services. And uh, I didn't want to uh, retain my knowledge, but to apply my knowledge to different specific business cases and to help companies, especially we are focused on medium-sized companies and small companies on what is a internationalization or social entrepreneurship. And, and we find that this is a very interesting area that has a lot of potential. Nice, I like that. So going heart first, that is fun. So. Thank you very much for your time, Bruno. I appreciate it immensely. And again, I appreciate your tenacity coming through time and time again. Uh, any last words for our peeps before we let you go? Uh, well, last words, we, we can say that companies have to know that business is not only about profits and about sales and about reducing costs. These are very important aspects. And I always say that this is probably the most important focus for most companies. However, there is a very important aspect of business that many companies are dismissing, that is the relational aspect of business, which implies developing a strong relationship with, for example, in the case of international trade, with international buyers or with employees or with suppliers. And this is quite important. Many cultures, like as I mentioned, South Asian culture, take into consideration the relational aspect. But here in the Western Hemisphere, we see that companies are only focused on what can be measured, what can be counted, like a profit, market share. And if you don't develop a strong relationship with different stakeholders that are the base of any international transaction or local transaction, all these indicators will tend to wither. So why? Because all these uh, indicators are based on strong relationship, long-lasting relationship with the stakeholders. Sage advice. That is awesome. Thank you. So, peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or a topic that you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.